of new availability for readings as well as new types of astrological consultations on my website. I now offer electional chart consultations as well as synastry readings. Now that the synastry series is all wrapped up, it seemed like a pretty good time to launch those readings officially. My webinar on aspects is happening in about two weeks, so if you haven't signed up for that yet, please do. I also have tarot readings and astrological poems stocked back up, so head on over to my website, moonmattersastrology.com, and check it all out. Thank you to everyone who signed up for my webinar already, and hello to all the new patrons that have signed up recently. I hope to see you around in the Discord. Thank you to everyone who supports me in my work, and thank you for being here in general today, right now. I'm so grateful to be part of your astrological journey and appreciate your support more than you will probably ever know. I know I say it every week, but it's because you and all your support and the way you support me, that's how I'm able to do what I do and not have to sell my soul and put moon matters behind a paywall. And also that's just not my style. I'd honestly rather eat dirt than ever subject your sweet ear holes to a mattress or vitamin supplement ad. So thanks for all the ways that you all support me. And if you're looking to be a patron or book a session, just head on over to my website. You'll find it all there. And thank you in advance for supporting me. Whether you're new to astrology or been in the game for a while now, I'm sure you've heard of the term sister signs. And I'm going to be upfront and honest, I'm not really a fan of the term. I think maybe it makes it sound too cutesy for me and it can confuse people. In pop astrology, people often have a really watered down way of looking at what they call sister signs that doesn't do them justice. A lot of the times I see sister signs as being this like, oh, well, you should date your sister sign and why sister signs have so much compatibility. And I just, I don't know if that's exactly true. I don't know if it's exactly wrong, but it's not exactly right. So today we're going to explore the concept of sister signs and why it's actually a way cooler concept than pop astrology gives it credit for. For starters, let's use the proper name or at least the name that I use for sister signs, which is polarities. Polarity indicates a pair of opposites, which is exactly what sister signs are. Let's look at the actual definition of the word polarity. Polarity is the quality or condition inherent in a body that exhibits opposite properties or power. If we take that and apply it astrologically, we could say that polarities are the quality or condition inherent in a zodiac sign that exhibit opposite properties or power. There are 12 zodiac signs, which means we have six zodiacal poles. Each pole creates an axis between the opposing sign. We know that opposing energy is important in astrology because we have oppositions as an aspect. The poles themselves create an energetic axis based on the signs creating the polarity. Today, we're going to explore the six polarities, their inherent themes and energy, what we can learn from each polarity, and how to tell which poles are prominent in our charts. But first, let's lay the groundwork and discuss which zodiac signs make up which poles. If you're good with the zodiac signs, then you know that any given polarity is created by opposing signs. The six polarities are as followed. Aries, Libra. Taurus, Scorpio, Gemini, Sagittarius, Cancer, Capricorn, Leo, Aquarius, Virgo, Pisces. 
Each of these axes carry their own unique energy agendas and wisdom. You'll notice that fire and air create poles and water and earth create poles. While the polarities are opposites, they have complementary energy. It's like the concept of two sides of the same coin, complementary, but still different, similar in form, but varying in function. Fire and air work well together in the sense that they're light, airy, ethereal. They work together to create something of the higher mind. One provides the inspiration and one provides the passion and drive. Water and earth work so, so well together. They can easily build something within the material world. Earth creates a container for water and water gives life to earth. They engage in a reciprocal relationship that's conducive for life to sprout. When we look closer at the elemental polarities, we see another thing in common, and that's modality. The polarity will always share modality. This means that we see complementary elements and shared modalities within any given polar axis. The shared modality is often what the opposing energy can find common ground through, and it's energetic lifeblood of the axis itself. Another interesting thing about the poles is that the planet who experiences its domicile in one sign will always experience detriment in the other. So while there's similar threads like modality and complementary elements, it's still an unfamiliar place for the opposing domiciled planet to be. I think exploring the poles will help explain all of this and give context to what this all means because that was a really quick and dirty rundown of what polarity is. So let's dive into interpreting each of the six axes. Each polar axis has inherent themes and wisdom within it. I've given names to each polar axis that encompasses the energy as a whole. As I'm going through these axes, keep your own chart in mind. Think of how the polarity falls in your chart in general. Don't worry about planets or anything else like that or aspects while you're listening to these. We'll add those in later. For now, just think of how the houses these polarities fall into and how they express their agendas and wisdom accordingly. So just think of your chart. If I'm talking about one and seven, just think of one and seven in your chart. If it's Aries and Libra, which is going to be the first one, and that's eight and two for you, just think of eight and two. Don't complicate it. Just look at where the signs fall and think about that area of your life and how it's expressing. So let's get started. Aries and Libra. This is the axis of mirrored ego. This cardinal fire air axis is trying to balance the wants and desires of self and other. It's a Mars-Venus axis. These two can do a lot of great things together, but they can also make each other really uncomfortable and butt heads. The agendas of these signs couldn't be more different. Aries, which is Mars, wants to spearhead life. It's that cardinal energy. It's, it's spring. It's vivacious. It wants to just burst into bloom. And Libra, which is Venus, wants to make sure everyone is comfortable and balance is maintained, wants to make sure harmony is afoot in all that it does. The wisdom of this polarity comes in the form of knowing when to apply heat and when to cool off. It's the push and pull of passion. When do we chase what we want and when do we give others room to be part of the equation? I think the real wisdom of this axis is learning how to blend what you want with the people you surround yourself with. The axis of the mirrored ego teaches us that oftentimes who we surround ourselves with can be our greatest strength or our biggest limitation. 
I tell my students and people in consultations all of the time. I tell people this all of the time. I tell strangers on the street all of the time. If you surround yourself with quality people, then you never have to worry about whether your energy is being wasted or not. You never have to worry about the intentions of others if you surround yourself with quality people who truly care about you. Think of what houses Aries and Libra rule in your chart. These are the areas you're constantly trying to balance and maintain poise, but also run full speed ahead and not care who gets in the way. Are you surrounding yourself with people who temper your ego in a healthy way? Or are you surrounded by bad influences or people who don't support your passions? This is really big for the axis of mirrored ego because it's mirrored ego. It's teaching us that we can't develop our ego all on our own. We can't figure out who we are all on our own. We need to be in the mix with other people and we need to harmonize those relationships with others, that Libra, that Venus. They need to be harmonic relationships in order to temper the ego and the drive of the Aries. So that's what this axis, this polarity is really doing. It's trying to get us to harmonize our drive, harmonize our passion in a way that works for us and for others as well. Taurus and Scorpio. This is the axis of endurance. This is another Venus and Mars ruled polarity, but this time the modality is fixed and the elements are earth and water. While Cardinal Venus and Mars are concerned with how they can create and bloom, fixed Venus and Mars are concerned with how they can endure. Both Taurus and Scorpio derive strength from their steadfastness. Their ability to dig their heels in and be unmovable can be both a blessing and a curse. We're all familiar with Taurus's famous stubbornness and Scorpio's penchant for never letting go of a perceived wrongdoing. But these characteristics are also what allow them to really hone in, concentrate, and gain access to the richness in life. This access is the area of our lives in which we experience prolonged endurance. It's where we're able to dig deep and really sink into the experience. But this can also create the dichotomy of becoming too comfortable or being resistant to change. Taurus, which is Venus, will need to learn that sometimes harmony is really contentment in disguise. And Scorpio needs to learn that familiarity doesn't always mean safety and especially emotional safety. This polar axis is designed to show us our root system, our, our root ball for my plant people out there. I think it's called like a root ball when you pop a plant out of a pot and you're looking at that root system. Where is it that we're planting roots? What area of our lives do we strive for comfort and familiarity? Are we towing the line of being focused and digging deep enough to find the richness or are we stuck in the mud? Taurus and Scorpio both want to be rooted in their desires, which is fine, but we have to make sure the container that we provide for them is a pot and not a prison. We want to set this axis up to endure. This is, a, this is an axis where you're supposed to dig deep and be there for quite a while. It's a longevity thing with this axis. But when it hits a wall, a plateau, or a peak, we have to be brave enough to uproot the plant and find it new soil to endure once again. The houses of Taurus and Scorpio are going to be the houses where you tend to become comfortable or seek stability. It's a place where you want longevity and staying power. Gemini and Sagittarius. 
This is the axis of varying perspective. This is one of my favorite axes, and maybe that's because it's a big one for me personally, but I also just really like it. Here we have the axis of mutable air and fire. I call this the axis of varying perspective because Gemini is so focused on day-to-day happenings and Sagittarius is concerned with the big philosophical picture. It's like Gemini is viewing the world through a microscope and Sagittarius is using binoculars or I can't remember, I can't think of those things when, you know, when you're on like a building and they have, I think they're kind of binoculars, but you've like put a coin and you look out at them. I cannot for the life of me think of what they're called. So someone please tell me what those are called. But yes, using something that allows you to see further, essentially. That's what Sagittarius is. The planets involved here are Mercury and Jupiter. Both are swift and boisterous in their own right. They both enjoy a good laugh and have prankster energy. They differ greatly in their delivery, though. Gemini takes great care with delivery of words, thoughts, ideas, and expression. And let's just say Sagittarius lacks tact most of the time. This axis serves to teach us where we have a zoomed-in view and where we take a more philosophical approach. The house of Gemini is where we have a mercurial mind, and the house of Sagittarius is where we have a more grand worldview. Jupiter wants to expand at all costs, and Mercury, being the messenger of the gods, can feel run a little ragged by Jupiter's desires to get the message out there. The wisdom of the Gemini-Sagittarius polarity comes to us through understanding what it is we think deeply about and what it is we pour over closely. Then, how can you get these two minds to meet up? Because between their two perspectives, that's where inspiration lives. Mutable fire and air have the ability to go wherever without restriction. Their agenda is basically to learn as much as possible to be both an eternal student and a wandering teacher. In your chart, where does the axis of varying perspective fall? What area of your life are you seeking to absorb information insatiably? What area of your life are you a wandering philosopher offering insight and wisdom? Best case scenario, you can get the Gemini house to proffer all the info and intellect to the Sagittarius house. Without the intellect of Gemini, the Sagittarius house can seem kind of like a false prophet. They need to merge their perspectives in order to have true 2020 vision. Really, with this axis, I kind of see it like the Gemini house is feeding information to the Sagittarius house. The Gemini house informs the Sagittarius house. The Sagittarius house just has to be, has sit still, you know, long enough to listen, not be so pompous or dogmatic to not listen. And then in turn, the Gemini house has to hear the feedback of the philosophical Sagittarius house and say, hey, I need to know more about this. Please tell me more about this. Getting them to really be in tune that way and not be in so much opposition with one another is going to be very helpful, especially if this house or these houses are prominent in your chart. Cancer and Capricorn. This is the axis of guardianship. This is Cardinal Water and Earth. The Moon and Saturn face off in this pairing, which out of all the opposing forces we've had so far, this one strikes me as a standout one as far as intensity. We can learn so much from the axis of the Moon and Saturn. This is where we see the struggle of being a caretaker, which yes, that includes being a parent, but you can be a caretaker of anything, honestly. That's why I've named this the axis of guardianship. 
The polarity of the signs brings out the age-old debate of nature versus nurture. Saturn being the natural state of something and the moon being what we can nurture it to be. The opposing force serves to teach us about what area of our lives we're sort of just saying, well, that is what it is, that's the nature of things, and what area we go to great lengths to nurture and provide for. What area of our lives feels like a karmic punishment and what feels near and dear to our heart. Capricorn, which is Saturn, wants to be realistic and show us where we need to put in hard work. Capricorn illuminates where we don't get any free rides and where a lot of our strife or suffering will come from. Cancer, which is the moon, shows us where we intuitively nurture ourselves and sometimes over-nurture ourselves. Cancer shows us where flowers will grow with minimal effort. This is also the axis of intuition and hard work. Learning to blend the two and understand that both are needed in order to truly thrive will be crucial in getting them to work together. The axis of guardianship shows us what we take ownership of in life. It's what we need to nurture and what we need to accept as it is naturally. So what area of your life do you mother and what area of your life do you feel like you face factually? Leo and Aquarius. This is the axis of societal identity. Here we have another Saturn and luminary polarity, only this time Saturn is up against the sun. This is the axis of fixed fire and air. Leo wants to root into identity of self and Aquarius wants to root into identity of community. This means that the main thing that this axis can teach us is how to integrate self into the community. What role do we play within our communities and group settings? The sun is pushing the agenda of the ego and Saturn is pushing the agenda of the superego. When we figure out how to work with this axis, it helps us find our role, our place, and our identity within our communities, but also with the world at large. What is it our soul was sent here to do? What is our purpose? These are the questions that the wisdom of the Leo Aquarius axis can help with. Getting the sun and Saturn to align can be tough because they have fixed modalities. Just like Taurus and Scorpio, these two signs can get caught up in their own bullshit. When one side of the axis is being favored, we see people who give too much of themselves away or never develop a sense of self. Or we can see egos run rampant and have a lot of shadows surrounding the idea of being part of a community. Not having a place within the group at large can feel really disheartening. Even though Leo is the sign of self and ego, it truly wants nothing more than to fit in and be accepted by the group as the person they are at their core. And likewise for Aquarius, they just want to be accepted for who they are without having to adapt or change themselves. This is the common thread of this axis, identity and acceptance. So uh, those will also be the major themes and points of wisdom we gain from this polarity. Think about your own chart and uh, what houses Leo and Aquarius rule. Where do you want to be seen as an individual and where do you want to be most accepted by the group? Virgo and Pisces, and this is the axis of purity. The last polarity is mutable water and earth. This is the opposition of Mercury and Jupiter again, only this time it's in the nocturnal form. Mercury in Gemini is the scholar. Mercury in Virgo is the editor. Jupiter in Sagittarius is the philosopher. Jupiter in Pisces is the mystic. 
So while they have similarities, they do operate differently and have a different focal point for their agendas. I chose the name Axis of Purity because it fit both Virgo and Pisces, but in vastly different ways. Virgo is the maiden, the holy one, the clean one. Purity to Virgo is revising, editing, fixing mistakes, cleaning, truly purifying something, cleansing it. While purity to Pisces is unfiltered naivety. When you look at something and think, it's so pure, we have to protect it, it's so pure, that's Piscean energy. It's the energy of having a childhood dream come true or aspiring to do good in the world. The push and pull of this axis is Pisces having something pure in the sense that it's in its raw state, a raw dream, a raw ambition, the raw materials that belong to a pure imaginative state. Then Virgo is the desire to take that notion, that imagination, that dream, and edit it, to cleanse it of any potential mistakes or mishaps, to make it perfect. Now, it can sound like Virgo's being the villain here, but Virgo's truly not the villain. Sometimes Pisces needs to be grounded, and that's what Virgo does within this polarity. It helps to ground and ultimately realize the imaginative musings of Pisces. Without Pisces, Virgo would have no imaginative dream juice to water their ideas with. These two can butt heads because one seems too grounded and one seems too out there, but when they meet in the middle, they find that both types of purification are required in order to see the agenda through. Think of it this way. No author ever publishes their first draft. Virgo allows Pisces to create from raw imagination, and then Pisces hands that first draft over to Virgo, and then Virgo gives it back edited and polished, and then Pisces adds more imagination, and then Virgo edits it again, and so on and so forth. It's a constant cycle of raw imagination and purification in order to grow something beautiful. Where in your chart are you constantly editing and trying to purify yourself? What houses do your purification and imagination ritual take place? Now that we know about the six polar axes, how do we know which ones are prominent in our chart? Because while we can think about how they impact our lives in some form or fashion, there's definitely going to be ones that play a bigger role in our lives than others. Some may not be very loud at all, and that's okay. We can only learn so much in one lifetime. So here are some ways you can try to pinpoint which axis is playing a larger role in your chart than others. First is the lunar nodes. Whichever houses the lunar nodes inhabit will be an important axis for you. This will be an axis of wisdom and balance. It's going to be understanding how to balance those energies and not let Rahu consume too much and not let Ketu deplete too much. Next, you want to look at the angles. The angular houses in a chart hold a lot of weight, as they're typically the anchors or the backbone of a chart. You'll want to look at the first and seventh house axis, as well as the fourth and tenth house axis. If your midheaven and IC fall into a different house other than four and ten, then you'll want to look at both and sort of blend the significations. But I'd focus more on the houses where the actual MC and IC are but then also see how the actual angular houses come into play. Last, we want to look at any planets in opposition with each other and what the axis is like. If you have a lot of planetary oppositions going on, 
What access is it taking place under? This will help identify the lesson or wisdom we can learn from the opposition and also how we can work to ease the tension of the opposition. If we know the agenda of the access and then we see the players involved, we can think, okay, I know that this is the axis of, uh, oh, let's just give a quick example here. I know this is the axis of the varying perspective. That's actually one that I have. I have Mars and the sun in opposition with each other in the axis of varying perspective. So what does that mean? That means that I'm going to have to try to reconcile the agenda of my Sagittarius sun in the third house and my Gemini Mars in the ninth house. And Mars is also the ruler of my chart. So I'm trying to understand how can I get these two to see eye to eye? How can I use the axis of varying perspective in those houses to make them sort of see each other in a respectable way, so to speak? Understanding the agenda of the polarity definitely helps to get those two planets working constructively. Well, my babes, those are the sister signs, or as I like to call them, the polarities or axes. This is a simple concept that can give us a lot of information. I really recommend going around your entire chart and thinking about how each access presents itself in your life and what wisdom is trying to convey through its opposition. Then try to pinpoint what your most influential axes are in the chart, how that influences you, and whether that makes that area of your life more prominent or not. I really hope that this overview was helpful at breaking down the polarity of the signs and what they can teach us. And honestly, if you're looking for an exercise to do, then just free and easy. This is a free and easy exercise. All you have to do is grab a piece of paper, you make a big circle, you break the houses up into, I guess you break the circle up into 12 different pieces, which would be the houses, and then look at the polarities and make little notes. Just mark them all just like you would your birth chart or even print out your birth chart and then make a carbon copy of it and just make notes in it. Make notes in that little pizza pie and see what the axes are trying to tell you. Layer it with the planets. Layer it with the nodes. Slowly bring in, it's like a pizza, honestly. Slowly bring in those layers that would be like toppings on a pizza. So first, look where the nodes are. That's a simple one. And then check out the angular houses and then check out where you have oppositions. At a glance, you should be able to tell which ones are most prominent or which ones kind of have a lot of oomph because if there's a lot of oppositions, then you're obviously your eyes going to be drawn there. Just take it as it comes, draw that pizza pie, make those 12 places and make notes within it. And hopefully it starts to make a little more sense. If you want more astrological content before the next episode, consider signing up to become a patron of my work. I have exclusive blog content, monthly horoscopes, retrograde guides, and a Discord waiting for you to join. You could also leave me a super cute review on Spotify or iTunes, which I would be eternally grateful for. Head on over to my website, check it all out, and thank you in advance for supporting me. I will see all you babes later.